0: risk. There is a possible new variant of coronavirus circulating in New York City. We're constantly playing catch up with this virus. I'll be glad to have some sort of protection against the virus. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome, everyone, to The Debrief Podcast. I'm your host, Rana Novini, And for David Ushery, it's hard to comprehend, but we are now in our second year of the coronavirus pandemic, and it is becoming an epic battle between the vaccine and the variants. We're in a race with COVID now. Infections are going up. Vaccinations are going up. The unrelenting U.K. variant is now the most dominant strain in the United States. It's more contagious than the original enemy... And it's spreading fears of another surge, despite the fact that nearly 3 million Americans are being vaccinated every day.
1: I'm going to still be cautious, but it will just give me, allow me to feel a little extra layer of protection.
0: So how worried should we be? Are things getting better or are we letting our guard down too soon to truly be safe? We want to welcome Dr. Kavita Patel, NBC News medical contributor, who has joined us on our newscasts many times. Dr. Patel, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thanks for having me, Rana. Okay, so first we want to tackle some of these variants. There are so many out there now. Uh, the UK strain, which is the most dominant one now here in the United States, there's strains from Brazil, South Africa. There's even a New York variant now. Uh, a lot to contend with. But first, I want to go back and talk about how these variants are emerging. And should we expect these variants to become more and more contagious as time goes on?
1: I think that it's also helpful to just put it simply into a context that all viruses, in fact, all kind of living creatures and organisms and cells mutate. It's part of kind of normal cell turnover in our bodies. And it's also part of how viruses survive. So I think that just that helps to make sure that when we talk about mutations, it's the ones that are causing changes in clinical pictures of coronavirus that give us the pause. I think number one, everything mutates. Number two, these sets of mutations, and in some cases it's about two dozen mutations to the coronavirus, but really a mutation to the spike protein that makes some of these mutations stand out and some of these strains becoming concerning. And it's why I think your top line, it is why most of us are being incredibly conservative until we know more about the impact of these variants and vaccines and reactions six months down the line, antibodies, et cetera. So we can dive into some of those as, as you see fit.
0: Right. So, so in other words, this, these variants were not unexpected. This is something we Correct. expected would happen when we saw the coronavirus emerge.
1: Yeah. What we did not know is one, could we get a vaccine in time? Two, will those vaccines have enough kind of power to trigger our immune systems to respond to not just the variants to which the vaccines were tailored for? But to future variants, not even the ones we have today, but even the ones that might emerge three or six months from now, if we really can't kind of globally get everyone vaccinated as quickly as possible. So
0: the vaccines we have available to us, you know, here in the United States, we're talking about Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson. Uh, these vaccines were being developed or started being developed really early on in the pandemic, right before these variants were even around for scientists, scientists to have to contend with them.
1: Right, that's right, and, and it, just keep in mind, uh, trials happen. We wanted tens of thousands of people to volunteer to be in these trials, but at the time that these trials were conducted, we did not across the board have all of these strains. Interestingly enough, Johnson and Johnson was in country in South Africa and in the u k and in parts of the world where there were some of these concerning variants and strains. So we do have data and it's why ran There's a kind of people wanna compare all three vaccines against each other. I, I call them apples, oranges and bananas because they were all three done at different times right. with different doses and kind of in different contexts.
0: Right, it's why the Johnson and Johnson perhaps has a lower efficacy rate, right. correct? Correct, yeah, that's right. So when we're, we're looking at these vaccines, do we know how effective they are at protecting against the variants that we know about that are out there right now, the ones that we should be concerned about?
1: Yeah. The good news is that all three vaccines are effective against the variants that we know of. And and even some breaking news around um, the vaccines being effective around some of these very concerning California, you're hearing about, quote, double mutations and things that do sound incredibly scary. We are having proof. It is not definitive proof, but let me say to you that it's good enough where I feel confident the vaccine I'm giving to a patient today is going to protect them for now and hopefully at least six months more. And the data comes from basically lab data as well as real world data where we take blood from people who have either been vaccinated or actually had COVID and recovered. And we look to see if their antibodies can fight different strains that we are concerned about. And in all cases, we do see that the antibodies that are generated, whether it's vaccine or infection, have an effect. The effect can be different. In the case of the UK variant, the effect is pretty strong. In the case of the Brazil variant or the South Africa variant, the effect is a little lower. And that's where we get concerned because... As you're seeing immunity not be able to fight the virus, we call that immune escape. You may have heard Dr. Fauci Mm -hmm. and others talk about it. It's called immune escape. And the escape is that the virus is outsmarting our natural or vaccine-generated immunity. And we're seeing little signs of that through some of those lab data and things I told you about. But at today, all three protect us. But we worry about six months from now, which is why, good news, I hate doing all this bad news without some good news. The good news is all the manufacturers are trying to tailor vaccines, boosters for any variants that we have now, as well as future variants that we're not even thinking about.
0: Yeah, I want to ask you about boosters in a moment. But I've been seeing a lot of people saying, well, you know, I got COVID already, I got sick with COVID. So I already have the antibodies, therefore, I don't need to get a vaccine, or perhaps I don't need to rush to get a vaccine. Uh, what do you say to that person? And, and is there a difference in the antibodies that are they're being found in someone? Is yeah. it different uh, if they've gotten sick with it versus if they've gotten a vaccine?
1: Yeah, great question. So if you have uh, COVID and recovered, we do know that you get antibodies. And for the most part, against these variants, the antibodies are effective. But we do know from scientific studies where they followed patients who are not vaccinated, but had COVID they've been following them all around the world, that number one, that immunity over time goes down. So it's just normal for that immunity to kind of wear off. At what point does it wear off? We know that for some, it's as early as three months. And for some, they still have immunity at 12 months. So that's concerning because that means that if you've had COVID, even if you were hospitalized, you might not have immunity a year from now. It's all the more reason to get a vaccine. And then you asked, I think, exactly the right question, what kind of antibiotics antibodies. What's the difference? The antibodies developed from a natural infection from COVID are really kind of recognizing what infected you in the first place. A vaccine is really elegant. We call it technology, right? because it is. It's like iPhone technology. It's technology that allows for a polyclonal response. And let me translate that into English. It allows for a really robust antibody response that recognizes a bunch of different kinds of those spiky red proteins. So a vaccine develops antibodies, a natural infection develops antibodies, I could tell you that a vaccine is going to generate antibodies that are doing a better job probably of navigating and scavenging against a variety of different kinds of spike proteins on different kinds of strains. So in short though... The reason someone who's had COVID needs to get the vaccine is because that immunity wears out. And we also have from a very small number of people um, in South Africa and in Brazil, that even with people who are recovered and hospitalized, the variants, especially in South Africa and Brazil, can cause people to get reinfected, which means that natural immunity from that first infection is not enough. So again, bottom line, the vaccines are where we need to p- point the entire world towards.
0: And what do we know so far about how long these vaccines last, how yeah. long the antibodies last in our body? Everyone's wondering, do I need to yeah. get another shot in six right. months from now, three months from now, a year from now? Is this yeah. going to be an every year kind of thing? What, what do we know?
1: Yeah, and let's go back to, you know, when if if anybody remembers um, days when they were a young parent, or if you've got children in your family, you know, children get a whole slew of vaccines, some of which keep you permanently immunized. But then we have the flu shot, where you have to get it every year because the flu viruses change and you don't have the same immunity. So, your question, what we know so far, all the manufacturers in the United States have demonstrated that they have at least six months of immunity, but that's only because we've been kind of studying these patients for that amount of time. But based on the immunity at six months, we do believe that this immunity is going to last. People kind of hesitate to say, quote unquote, years. But we have very good evidence to believe it should be at least a year. And then I think we're asking the question, even if the immunity lasts, there might not be the right immunity if these new variants kind of escape the immunity. So even if immunity lasts from my shot that I personally got in December, I might still need to get another sooner just to deal with these variants.
0: Right. But bottom line, if you've been vaccinated already, Can you still get really sick with one of the variants that are out there right now?
1: Short answer, no. Longer answer is that's exactly why it's possible theoretically, which is why we are all asking people. I know this sounds kind of like a double edged sword to be incredibly optimistic about how great these vaccines are, prevent death, prevent severe hospitalization. But then we're also adding in this note of caution because these variants kind of feel like they're popping up fast and furious. And we don't want to be blindsided by having, to your point, someone who is vaccinated and then has a severe hospitalization or heaven forbid, die. And it was because of a variant that caused immune escape. So while we're in this in-between period, look, only one in four, you know, New Yorkers um, are, One in three, maybe by the end of the week, might be fully vaccinated. So the majority of the country is not fully vaccinated. We have to have that caution for the reason, you know, that I think you and I are both on the same page worried about. Even vaccinated, could there be a threat to others or a threat to ourselves until we have more data? Yeah.
0: Perhaps this is getting in the weeds, but looking down the line here, if you're someone who's received the Pfizer shot would mm-hmm. you have to stick with a Pfizer booster yeah, or could you get
1: a, a Johnson and Johnson booster? I'll go back to my technology analogy, because this has to do with the fact that Moderna and Pfizer use the same technology messenger RNA. Um, and that's, I literally like I'd like to tell people this cause it's working on my patients. So I'm going to say it. It's literally like what a messenger does. The messenger comes and in the form of a vaccine, tells your cells, your natural cells in your body to make antibodies, uh, to make the spike protein and then to develop antibodies against it. But the messenger like all other messengers, leaves. It delivers a message and a signal to the cells, but then it leaves. And there's no remnant of this messenger RNA in your body anywhere after it delivers the, the message. So that's one type of technology. But these other vaccines use a viral, in the case of Johnson & Johnson, kind of like a dummy version of a virus that delivers the same message to your immune system, but in a different package. It does not appear that you would have to stick to one technology versus the other. I think the question will be, will the messenger RNA, the way it was developed, be a type of technology that is easier to tweak and easier to kind of show clinical data, that it develops sufficient immunity faster than maybe some of the other types of technology that's possible, but there's no, you know, there's no reason right now to think if you've started with Pfizer, you've kind of made a life commitment to it hmm. because the vaccines, even if they're boosters, are once again kind of telling your body to do the hard work. It's just what kind of vehicle that message is being carried in. Right.
0: Looking at the, the number of cases across the country right now, even as the vaccination numbers have been steadily increasing in the tri-state Uh, We're still seeing an increase in virus cases. Nearly half of new cases we learned this week are coming from just five states, and those states include New York and New Jersey. Uh, Do you sense that we're in for a fourth wave of coronavirus here in the tri-state, or do you think the vaccine's will be able to to curb that.
1: Like all things, a little bit of both, because we are, if you are in parts of New York or New Jersey, and even parts of Pennsylvania and Connecticut, so let's take the tri-state area to your point. If you're in that, if you're in certain parts of Manhattan, you do feel like you're in a fourth wave, because there are an incredible number of cases. There are outbreaks in some school settings, there are outbreaks in some workplace settings, and we think that's tied to this B1526 variant that's pretty kind of located in Manhattan. So you do feel like you're in a fourth wave, but um, it does not feel like waves one, two, or three. And that's because we do, to your point, we have this mixed kind of uh, like picture that's very good around vaccination rates. The more People who get vaccinated today aren't necessarily, you know, kind of resulting in cases tomorrow. That all takes time. But we're doing, you know, millions of shots a day, which is helping those statistics where we're all worried. Just if there were, you know, things that keep me up at night, I'm looking at the Brazil numbers and also looking at vaccination rates in the rest of the world. And they're so low that we could do a great job in the United States, avoid this kind of dreaded fourth wave across the country, fourth wave in pockets, maybe in the tri state area, Michigan, Florida. But we could have something that comes back in months because it is not under control in other countries. And right. that is that is what I worry about at night.
0: And especially as we're opening up travel more and more, the CDC right. just said, you know, those who are vaccinated can travel more freely. Is that right. what you're concerned about?
1: Look, I think that um, the nature of human it, it kind of mankind, womankind is if we're going to have some travel, you should just assume everything will be global. It just is a matter of time. So I think it's I I look at our vaccination efforts today, keeping us safe, protecting us from dying, six to 12-month time frame. But I am really hoping that, especially like in the tri-state area and places where we have just been hit hard, we have a very good genetic surveillance system so that we catch it before it becomes a problem, like it has the past three waves.
0: I want to ask you a little bit about vaccine passports, because that's been a controversial Topic, essentially, you know, people having to show proof that they've been vaccinated uh, for as a barrier of entry for various things like, let's say, concerts or restaurants. Uh, we've already seen it happening at some sports venues. Uh, there is, of course, pushback. The governors of Texas and Florida already signed executive orders banning vaccine okay. passports. And then earlier this week, the White House said that the federal government would not be issuing vaccine passports. Uh, I wanted to ask you, as someone who's okay. worked in policy before where do yeah. you see this going? Does it make sense or would it cause too many issues?
1: The whole goal of having a passport or proof of immunization is really to keep yourself safe and know that you're entering a situation in general, where you are you know, not putting others at risk and they are not putting you at risk. I think that makes a lot of sense for things I cannot control, like sporting events, concerts, things that are, feel very normal in 2019, but don't today because we're worried about getting sick movie theaters, places with kind of high restaurants who want to open to 100% capacity, but they've got a public that is nervous to come in. So I think that's where we're going to see and, and I know the federal government wants to stay out of it. I worked in the federal government, and I would just say that what I do hope we do get, what I hope the Biden administration does is to create some sort of at least minimums so that the passports and the technology and the vendors all have to make sure that they're equitable around it. I would say they have to be free. I mean, I, I really don't want this to be behind a paywall, but I understand people have a business. And then third, I want to make sure it's incredibly literate. Just in the tri state area, think of all the dialects and languages. We don't want the very barriers that made COVID a disaster to continue to be a barrier.
0: Right. And how do you track it? You know, we're going to probably run into the right. issue of fraudulent vaccine passports and That's people right. making fake cards uh, for right. those who don't want to get vaccinated.
1: Right. Right. Which is a great tip and reminder as we've got millions of tri state residents getting vaccinated. Take a picture once you get, if you get two doses or your one dose. Take a picture of that card. It'll be helpful for so many reasons, including so that you remember what vaccine you got what dates and if you need boosters and what kind that take a picture and uh, make copies, just a little reminder. That's a good idea. Take a picture, but perhaps don't post it on social media, right? Don't post it on social media because it's got your date of birth on there. Absolutely. No, take a picture that's only on your personal device or in a space that is not accessible to anybody else because it does have sensitive information. And it's also got, you know, you just don't want that out in the public, but you need that for a variety of reasons.
0: If you're someone who's vaccinated, Mm -hmm. if you've been vaccinated, uh, there's been a concern that you could still carry the virus, right? That you could carry it and pass it on to someone else even if perhaps you yourself don't get very sick from it but right. it seems like we're getting more information that is is kind of making that seem like less of a scenario what what have we learned right
1: yeah so you know we're all waiting for this kind of magic like aha moment where the cdc says congratulations we now have enough proof to say that if you're vaccinated you do not have to worry about getting other people sick i would just predict we're a long way away from that very specific message. There's a lot of data that they'll need before they can say that. However, we do have now studies. It's what led actually to the modeling to make the CDC kind of relax the restrictions on travel. Those models were based on studies that showed that vaccinated individuals are at incredibly low risk of both getting covid and giving COVID. And just here in the United States alone, 4,000 healthcare workers that were part of like early vaccinations back in December, they followed all those people out and looked to see how many of them got uh, COVID themselves. And some did, which is a good reminder that getting the vaccine doesn't prevent you from catching COVID. It prevents you from hopefully getting severely ill or hospitalized or dying, but you could absolutely potentially even get, some people, patients have gotten COVID after a vaccine and they said the vaccine failed. I said, actually, no, it might not have. It might've prevented you from getting really sick. So you we know now that more and more evidence is stacking up that if you're vaccinated, you're at incredibly low risk of giving it to somebody, but it's not zero. And this is where I would urge all listeners Think about everything as us, like levels of risk: individual risk, risk to myself, or to the people I'm around. Then think about it as like your neighborhood or community risk, like. What happens if I'm going to my neighborhood grocery store, kind of interacting with people? What's my risk there? And then think about kind of national risk. If I'm traveling or if the entire country is vaccinated, you know, how many cases are we going to continue to see? And I think that'll help you process that it'll never be a bright line that's clear cut. But we'll get comfortable with understanding and navigating different levels of risk and taking those levels of risk.
0: I think some who've been vaccinated are now wondering why do I need to still wear the face mask? Right. Is that because of what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, it has the face mask thing, you know, in your own household, I am, I am proof positive that practice where I preach, um, I, when I have had gatherings with some very close friends, all of whom are vaccinated, little children who are not vaccinated, but not at high risk, we have all taken off our masks and sat down and had dinner, like, you know, kind of three couples. So I I am proof that in smaller gatherings where you know and kind of trust um, that someone is vaccinated when they tell you they are, you should take off your mask, you should hug them, you should have kind of break bread and have a meal. It's the kind of going out in public because Right now it's one in four. Let's say it's one in three, one in two being fully vaccinated. You just don't know who is and who isn't. And so think about the mask less, less about you kind of um, not protecting others, but you protecting yourself in case there is someone who is sick. And remember, the vaccine doesn't prevent you from catching coronavirus. So you could still catch it. And we just don't want to have that happen. After all these precautions we've taken, so but I do think, Rena, this will change. I would. I hate doing predictions because you am usually wrong. But I, <laughs> I, I would say with epidemiology, I tend to be decently correct. You know a thing or two. I do uh, this one. I can say a little bit more of an informed. I would say the summer is going to be this in between phase. You know, people kind of navigating, trying to figure out what to do, and if we've got handles on variants and boosters, so that's a big if. But. The handles on those and what we need to do. The fall will be a lot more normal in the sense that we will have more and more environments where relaxing the mask requirement is possible. It might be necessary on planes or some of these settings, but I think you can, especially if you add in kind of proof of immunization you could imagine going into places, restaurants or, or other settings, and there would not be a mask requirement. And that's, that's why I think it's, you know, we're asking Americans to do so much all the time, but I actually do feel like an end is in sight. It's just not tomorrow, but it's soon.
0: That's welcome news for so many of us. Dr. Patel, thank you so much for your time yeah. and for your insight. As always, we appreciate
1: it. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We thank you for listening, and we thank our production team, Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Rana Novinian and for David Ushery. we'll check you next time on The Debrief. <laughs>